Hey, I am so thankful that you are here today and that uh, we get to celebrate Easter together. Man, this is a good looking crowd. You should just look at each other real quick. This is awesome. Look at your neighbor real quick and say, you look amazing. All right. And if you don't know that person, that was super awkward right now, right? And if you're single, it could actually lead to something. How cool would that be to say we found each other on Easter Sunday? Man, I'm glad you're here today. I want to welcome both of our campuses, Noonan and LaGrange. We are live together, and today is a very special moment, and here's why. Because today is our first Sunday in our new building in the city of LaGrange. Can we celebrate that today? Very, very excited. They're going to hand that to me. I'm moving over to this one. All right. I want to say this today. Today's also special because today we started something new. In fact, from this Sunday forward, we will always be doing this. On Sunday mornings, we now have a live stream at 9.30 and 11 o'clock every single Sunday. Worship, teaching, preaching, everything. And I just want to celebrate that because now we get to take one relationship at a time all over the world. Can we celebrate that together today? So let me say, if you're worshiping with us online, I want to welcome you today. I'm so glad that you're here on this Easter Sunday. So I want to tell you one of my most episodic memories in my life of Easter. Uh, I grew up in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, and I was the youngest of five kids. Anyone here have multiple siblings in your life? Yeah, you know what that's like, especially around Easter, because every Easter... My parents would do something special for us. They would get together and, and boil, hard boil a bunch of eggs. And then they would go down to the local store and they would buy these little dye tablets. And we would come back to the house and there was this little wire you put around the egg. You know what I'm talking about? And my dad would always line out five or six of his coffee cups. And my mom would drop the, the tablet in each one of those. And then they would fill it with water and stir it up. And, and we would take those eggs and we would dip them into that solution and you'd pull them out and you could make different colors and and everything like that but I, I remember when our family really got big time like I mean big time they came out with not only the dye kits but the ability to actually put stickers and designs on them and my parents came home with that and I thought we rich Ain't nobody got this. And we would dye those eggs, and it never failed. On Easter Sunday, that afternoon, we would go out in the backyard, and the hot April sun of Oklahoma, and we would go into the backyard, and we would do like 40, 50 eggs, and my dad would spend like an hour hiding those eggs all over the yard. You remember that? And they would hide those eggs, and then he'd say, okay, you guys go find them. For the next hour or two, it was like competitive, right? All me and my brothers and sisters trying to figure out how to get a hold of all those eggs. And and we would come back in the house, and the only problem was my dad would have like hidden 40 eggs, but we'd only come back with about 28. But we wouldn't tell my parents. We would basically say this, yeah, all the eggs are back here. My dad, I don't know why they never counted them. They should have caught on to this after two or three years. But basically, we would bring those eggs back in, and we had failed to recapture all the eggs that had been hidden. And so the first day, it wasn't a big deal. Second, third day, not too much of a big deal. The fourth day, my dad goes out to mow the yard, and the hot April sun of Oklahoma hits those eggs, And I'm going to tell you, our house smelt like the face of death. 
And I remember my dad would say, hey, who didn't bring in all the eggs? And I'd be like, it's him, it's her, it's him. And the truth is this, man, the face of death, it was like, oh my goodness, I'll never forget that smell still makes my nose cringe. I started thinking about that. You know, in life, there's things that we all have to face. There's things in this room that you're facing today. There are problems that you're going through. There are people in this room who a month ago, six months ago, a year ago, walked into a doctor's office and they said, you have cancer and you're facing disease. There are some of you that weeks ago, four weeks ago, your spouse walked into you and says, I don't love you. I've never loved you. I'm leaving you. And you're facing that today. In life, there's things, even as a country right now, I don't know if you've seen the news lately, but we have other countries that are literally parading missiles on television saying, this one's for the USA. We're facing a lot of things. We're facing economic difficulties as a nation. We're facing discrimination as a country. We're facing a lot of things. But I want to say this. The things we face in life and how we face them have the potential to change our destiny. The things we face in life, how we face them, has the potential to change our life. Think about it. Think about the things that you go through that because you went through that, you became something different. Maybe you overcame that. I think of Bonnie's story. Bonnie's that person that when you saw that on the story, you go, how in the world do you ever overcome that? Today, I want to tell you how Bonnie overcame that. And I want to tell you how you can overcome that. Sometimes when you go through that, we become something as a result of going through something. But challenging times sometimes make us just want to not face it, doesn't it? Sometimes we just want to turn face. Sometimes we want to save face instead of truly facing the challenges we face in life. See, I don't know what you're facing today. I don't know what your week was like. I don't even know what your 2017 was like. But here's what I know. There's something in life that can give us the ability to face whatever happens. And it's found in three words. Because he lives. If you have a Bible, I want you to turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 28. Matthew, chapter 28. It's the gospel of Matthew. And as you turn over there, I want to tell you that there is no greater thing that happened in humanity than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What we're here to celebrate today is so much bigger than making it to Target before 9 p.m. and getting some clothes for Easter, right? What we're facing today and what we're going through is only going to illuminate how important what Matthew shows us in his gospel that because Jesus lives, you and I, can face whatever. We can come alive. Matthew chapter 28, starting with verse one, it says, after the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. Now, how would you like to be called the other Mary? Hey, what's your name? My name's other Mary. The Bible says this lady named Mary Magdalene and this other Mary went to the tomb Why did they go to the tomb? They were going to go prepare Jesus's body for permanent burial. I want to say this to you. They didn't go to the tomb because they know what you and I know. They went to the tomb because they were facing uncertainty. 
Have you ever gone through a deep season of uncertainty in your life? Like you don't know how the bills are going to get paid. You don't know how the car is going to get fixed. At my house, I'm still praying how the AC unit's going to get fixed. We don't know. You go through uncertainty. These women, they walked to the tomb not to say, hey, I'm going there because Jesus is alive. They went to the tomb and they had watched Jesus live. They had watched him die on a cross and they had watched and known that his body was placed in this tomb and they went there with great uncertainty. We all face uncertainty in life. I mean, think about it. Not only the uncertainty of what they saw, but then the uncertainty of the silence of Saturday. Jesus is in that tomb. For three years, I followed him, and he's in that tomb. For three years, I believed that he was the Messiah, and he's in that tomb. But it all changed. Look at verse 2. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone, and he sat on it. Now, here's the thing. I've never personally encountered an angel. There have been times in my life where something happened and I thought, that could have been an angel. But in this moment, we know for sure because the Bible tells us an angel shows up, an earthquake happens, the stone gets rolled back, and all of a sudden, the angel hops up on the stone and it's almost like he's saying this to us. Hey, watch this. Watch what happens next. And I'm pretty sure at that moment, that would have probably been the best seat in the house. Verse 3, his appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. And the guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. And we read that so fast we don't get it, but I want to picture this for you. If you were a Roman soldier, you were a beast. You weren't allowed to become a Roman soldier if you're like a buck 50 and, you know, don't have biceps and you're not swole and all that stuff. You couldn't be a Roman soldier, to be a Roman soldier, you had to be aggressive, you had to be tough, you had to be able to defend yourself, and you had to literally be able to kill or you would be killed. So the idea of all of a sudden this happening, and the Bible says the guards were so afraid of him that they shook. You ever seen a big person get scared? It's like watching a fight. You ever been to a boxing match and all of a sudden you paid pay-per-view and you start watching the match and the other guy in the room that's bigger than the other guy starts running down the ring because he's afraid? I can't imagine the Roman soldier here. It says they were so afraid they shook. And then look what happened. They became like dead men. They became like dead men. You see, this seems strange to me. A soldier so big, so tough, but this experience was so overwhelming, they became like dead men. I, I love little kids. Here's why I love kids. Kids do things that adults don't do. Kids have a way of imagining things that we as adults used to do, but somehow as kids, they don't know different, so they do them anyway. Let me explain. I love chasing kids around, and when a kid knows that they're caught, like if you're trying to tickle them or you're trying to pick them up or whatever, they do something that you and I wouldn't think about. When they get really afraid and they don't know what to do and they feel like you're gonna capture them, they literally fall down on the ground and they act dead. I love that about kids. I think it's awesome, right? Like you can be like, I'm going to get you, I'm going to get you, and you can freak them out. And then, they, and somehow they believe in their mind that if I sit here and play dead, you won't touch me. That's what happened in this moment. They were so afraid that they literally became like dead men. Verse 5, the angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. 
I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. In other words, what God says to us in that moment through that moment is this. Jesus has the power to identify with whatever you and I will face in our life. Why? He was crucified. Whatever it is you're going through, whatever it is you face, whatever it is you will face, some of us are so afraid of our future. We're like, there's so much uncertainty. I don't know what's going to happen two weeks, a month from now. Listen, Jesus, can you imagine? He's the son of God. He's fully God and he's fully man. And they're hanging him on a cross and he's dying by asphyxiation. Jesus understands when you feel uncertain. I'm sure Jesus may have felt a little uncertain in a garden. But here's what I know. Jesus can identify with our pain. Jesus understands what it feels like to feel betrayed. Jesus understands when you have to look at a situation and say, the only way I'm going to go through this is to go through this. He was crucified. He was crucified. I started thinking about this. I've had some bad days in my life. Have you guys ever just had a really bad day? Like you went through something really bad? Like, my worst bad day is being on North I-85 around 4.35 p.m. when all the traffic starts getting crazy. I think that's bad. I, I tell you what's bad is when you get your favorite drink at Starbucks and you walk outside and you trip on something and you spill the whole thing. You go, oh, that's a bad day. But I want to say this. I've had some bad days. I have never had a day so bad as the idea of what it would mean to be crucified. Oh, trust me, Jesus can identify with your pain. Some of you, you've been abused. When you were a child, you were beaten. Someone hurt you. How can Jesus ever identify with that? Oh, he can. He went all the way so he could. Look at verse six. You see, even though Jesus was crucified and he can identify with his pain and our pain, that's not what made Jesus different. What made different is verse six. The angel said, he's not here. He is risen. Just as he said, come and see the place where he lay. Now I love this moment. And here's why, because I think this is where Jesus really becomes Jesus to me. Jesus is the only person I know who can walk in and say, Hey, I want to rent a tomb for three days. I mean, think about it. Jesus went totally Airbnb at Joseph's tomb. He did. He checked in with the idea that in three days, I'm out of here. I'm going to give it back. Why? Because I'm not going to need it. Because I'm coming back. And because I'm coming back, it changes everything. I want to say it to you this way today. Whatever you're going through in your life, the world is not different just because Jesus lived. The world is different because Jesus lives. He's alive. The angel said, he's not here. He's risen from the dead. I mean, the idea that Jesus came back and the way in which he came back ought to tell you and I, we can face whatever we're gonna face in our life. Now, as I grew up, I remember there were certain days that you see things happen in the world. You never forget those days. I remember sitting in a library in my high school when I was 16 years old and watching the space shuttle explode. Y'all remember that moment in human history? 
I remember the day that certain things happened. And, and as a sports junkie, there's certain days in sports life you remember. Like, you may not remember this day, but March 18th, 1995 was a big day. There was a player by the name of Michael Jordan who decided he wanted to leave his team after multiple championships with the Chicago Bulls. And he had left the team, but he had made a decision to come back. And, and on March 18th, 1995, because back then they still used fax machines, he faxed a notice from his sports agent to all of the media sources. And it only had two words, I'm back. You say, did that change anything? Oh, it changed the Chicago Bulls. It changed basketball. I'm sure there were a few players that said, hey, now that Jordan's back, I probably should just retire. But I want to tell you this, as great as that is, the moment that the angel said, he's not here, he is risen, it changed everything. Why that's important? Because if Jesus is alive, anything is possible. Anything. Anything is possible. See, the resurrection is the greatest event in human history because it has the power to redirect anybody's life. I mean, you think of Bonnie's story. When you think of what she went through and you think, you look at her and you say, you know what, how in the world could you ever overcome that? Bonnie will tell you, it's because he lives. Not because of what I lost, but because Jesus lives. That's why I can face tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that and the day after. That's why I can be set free because Jesus lives. Jesus coming back from the grave redirected our possibility to experience life and life abundantly. I mean, think about it. Many people have lived and died, but Jesus lived and died and came back. Why? He wanted to show us what a resurrected life is possible of. I mean, think about it this way. Fill in the blank with me. Because he lives, I can, you fill in the blank. What are you facing? I'm facing a divorce. I'm facing addiction. I'm facing my kids walking away. I'm facing, listen, whatever you face, you just, you just fill in the blank. See, I, I feel it in this way. Because Jesus lives, I can stay married and have a healthy marriage. Because Jesus lives, I can find healing. Because Jesus lives, I can be set free from addiction. Because Jesus lives, there's very little I can't do. In fact, I'm going to tell you this. There's nothing I can't do. Because Jesus lives, I can love my enemy. Because Jesus lives, I can parent my kids with love and grace and hope. Why? Because you're a good parent? No, because Jesus lives. Everything's possible. Why? Because he lives. Look at verse 7. Then go quickly and tell his disciples. He says, I'm alive. Jesus is alive. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go and tell his disciples. He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. And there you will see him. Now I have told you. The angel said, I want you to go tell the disciples. See, here's the thing. They didn't have to roll the stone away to get Jesus out of the tomb. The reason they rolled the stone away is so that you and I could see in the tomb. 
And there's a big difference. God didn't need to remove a stone to get his son out. God said, hey, I, I, don't, I don't live in that limit. But why did he roll the stone back? Because he wanted us to see in. You and I need to see in an empty tomb so we can tell people, because he lives, you can face whatever you're going to face in your life. Because the tomb is empty. I mean, imagine, think about this. Going to somebody's funeral, and you show up at the funeral, and someone says, hey, he was here in this casket, but all of a sudden he's gone. How many of you would go home and just be quiet about that? Oh, man, you'd be on Facebook. Dude, went to my buddy's funeral. He didn't even show up. I love it. Why? Because he lives. Because he lives. Listen, Jesus came back from death to show us what we need to experience if we want to have a relationship with God. Because he lives, I can experience a relationship with God. But see, here's our struggle. We've made religion about a set of rules and do's and don'ts. I mean, let's be real honest. If, if, if you were asked the average American, hey, what, what, what is it really going to take for you to experience eternal life after this life? Here's what they're going to say. Be good, do good, and you go to heaven. Be good, do good. And you go to heaven. And that's the problem with religion because Jesus wasn't about religion. (laughs) Jesus was about resurrection. And there's a big difference. So people say, be good, do good, and you go to heaven. And then we flip that around and we say, be bad, do bad, and go to hell. Be bad, do bad, and you'll go to hell. The problem is this, good people don't go to heaven. Alive people go to heaven. There's a difference. Jesus didn't die so we could have a better moral face of religion. He came to show us what a resurrected life is like and good people don't die and go to heaven. Alive people die and go to heaven. I wanna ask you a question today. When did Jesus make you alive? See, our problem is not that we're bad and we need to become good. Our problem is that we're spiritually dead and we need to come alive. And Jesus, when he came out of the grave, showed us that's possible. In fact, the only one who can bring us back to life is the one who came back to life. And I love what Jesus said. He said, hey, I don't want you to just have like physical life. I want you to have abundant life. I actually want you to live in freedom. I want you to live in deliverance in your life. I don't want you to be captive. I want you to be resurrected. People ask me all the time, they say, can you truly be free from the power of sin? I want to tell you the answer is yes. I heard a a guy say this years ago, it's a very powerful statement. His name is Georgian Banoff. He said, if we are not set free from sin until death, then Jesus is not our savior, death is. The only problem is Jesus arrested death and came out of a grave in three days. Why? Because he wanted to show you what's possible. Death is not my savior. Jesus, the Christ, the one who is alive is my savior. And because he lives, I can live. Because he lives, you can live. I can experience freedom. 
from my past because he lives. Verse 8, look what it says. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Now that tells me something. Good news here. You can deal with fear in this world and still have joy. The possibility is real. You say, well, Sean, I could have amazing peace if the world wasn't the way it is. No, listen, you can have amazing peace if you believe Jesus is alive. See, that's like the trump card for me. It's like, it gets real to me because I look at the things I've gone through and the stupid things I've done, and I said, I don't care who I've been. I don't care. Listen, God doesn't care what you've been. God cares what you're becoming. And the resurrection, (laughs) it's God's way of saying he loves new beginnings. The women, they were afraid, and yet they were filled with joy. Why? Because he lives. Doesn't matter what you face. Listen, is there anything scarier to face than death? Think about that. I know you're saying taxes, right? OMG, taxes. Listen, there's nothing scarier that we will ever face than our own death. But you know what the empty tomb says to you and I, even in relationship to death? It's God's way of looking back at the world and saying, I got this. I got this. Even in death, I can live because he lives. Verse 9, suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. You say, well, okay. Yeah, he wanted to be read. No, 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 you, you need to understand. A lot of us in this room, the biggest thing we have to overcome is our past. What we've done and what we think God thinks of what we've done and how we've projected something about God that God may not even think about us. Think about it. Tell my brothers to go to Galilee. Who were his brothers? Well, the first one was a guy named Peter. They denied him three times. Jesus actually looked at all of his followers after the Lord's Supper on the night before Good Friday and said, every one of you are going to deny me. Every one of you are going to fall away from me. He knew. Think about Thomas. (laughs) Hey, Thomas, Jesus is alive. Thomas is like, I don't believe it. Thomas, Jesus is alive. Yeah, 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 yeah. Jesus is alive. You tell him I want to come put my finger in his side. Think about James and John. They're trying to figure out who gets to sit closest to Jesus. They were pretty (laughs) self-centered. You know what that tells me about Jesus? You know what that tells me what Jesus was telling us today? Failure doesn't define you when you're part of the family. (laughs) He knew. Every one of these folks had failed us. Listen, can can I just take the pressure off of you today? God already knows that you failed him. We spend our whole life trying to make everyone think that we've never failed. And yet God looked at them at the tomb and he says, I want you to go tell my brothers to go meet me there. Why? Because I'm alive. I don't know where you're going through today. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know 
what's happened in your life that maybe you think, you know, the idea of Jesus coming alive doesn't affect me. But I want to say this to you. Because he lives, it changes everything. You see, because Jesus lives, when you and I face a setback, we don't have to take a step back because it says that God's already prepared our comeback. And what we need to do is we need to start living our life with one central thought. There is nothing in my life I can't face. Why? Because Jesus lives. And the best part of that story is this. Because he lives, you can come alive. What is your come alive story? We heard Bonnie's today. We heard a woman that when you look at her life and what she's gone through, you go, is it worth living? Yeah, it's worth living. Why? Because Jesus lives. What is your come alive story? Mine happened April 5th, 1987. When did you move from just being good to being alive? Because today God wants you to know you can face anything because he lives. Let's pray together.